few verses of the hymn <coughs> 203, I was sinking deep in sin, sinking to rise no more, overwhelmed by guilt within, mercy I did implore. Remaining seated while we sing together, please.
Robert Murray McShane's lovely hymn, I once was a stranger to grace and to God, and knew not my danger, and felt not my load. <clears throat> Jesus, my Redeemer, there is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. <clears throat>
Our opening hymn tonight is a lovely hymn. I heard an old, old story how a Saviour came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. We'll stand together while we sing this hymn, please. <clears throat> Let's all stand while we sing.
sung, we'll sing that final verse again, we'll sing without the music. I heard about a mansion he's built for me in glory. I wonder tonight, is the Savior preparing a mansion for you? Is there a place for you in heaven? Are you still homeless without Christ and without hope in this world? I trust you'll think about these things tonight. We're delighted to have Jonathan with us tonight, and can I ask Jonathan to come and lead us to the throne of grace and prayer? I think he's here. He's there he is, there he is. So we'll ask Jonathan after we sing uh, this uh, verse and chorus, we'll ask him to come and lead us to the throne of grace and prayer, please. <clears throat> singing tonight. We thank you, Lord, that there is victory in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the victory that he gives to the child of God. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the devil. Lord, ultimate victory in an eternal home in those mansions above. Lord, we thank you for sending us your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the redemption story that we read throughout the whole of the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that you so love this world, this world that deserved no mercy, this world that deserved no grace. We thank you that you loved it so much that you sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior. Lord, we praise you for your mercy. We praise you for your grace tonight. And we pray that this evening, as Christ is uplifted, Lord, in a word of testimony, as he is uplifted in the hymns that we sing together, we pray, Lord, that as Christ is lifted up, that he will draw all men to himself. Lord, we do pray that tonight some poor soul outside of Christ will be able to shout that they found victory in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would send down your Holy Spirit in our midst tonight. We ask, Lord, for your help. We do pray that as our brother comes to give a word of testimony, tells of the wonderful victory that Jesus has given in his life, we do pray that it would speak to some heart in here tonight. We do pray, Lord, that you would draw them lovingly to yourself. Lord, we thank you for the song that we can sing. 
redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we thank you for that blood that was shed for us in Calvary. We do pray that tonight that we would see Christ afresh and that in seeing him you would give us a deeper love and understanding of what he has done for us. Lord, we pray, bless our service this evening. Bless our meeting together and tonight may we have a fresh view of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we pray all of these things in the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan, for leading us to the throne of grace in prayer. We're going to sing together again the words of hymn number 300. My God, I have found the thrice blessed ground where life and where joy and true comfort abound. Standing while we sing, please. <clears throat>
seated. We bid you welcome tonight in the Saviour's name to this family night service. Good to see all who have come. We have some visitors with us tonight and we bid you a very warm word of welcome. We have visitors from New Zealand. Daniel uh, Simpson and his wife are here. That's Raymond and Marion's grandson. Where are they sitting? At the very back, right at the very back. You stand up because you've come so far. You've come the furthest tonight, all the way from New Zealand. Good to have you. This has been a special effort to invite folks in to a special meeting tonight. Uh, This man behind me, David Johnson, is going to give his testimony, how the Lord saved him. 20 years you were in... Uh, the army, and he served in Iraq. He'll tell us something about that. And there's folks from the, the British Legion tonight that are here. Mervyn has told me that in very good authority. And so thank you for making the effort and coming in tonight. If you're joining us on the internet, and we have those who, who join us very faithfully uh, on Sermon Audio, Facebook, and YouTube, we bid you welcome also. There will be refreshments served this evening, so if you can stay and enjoy a time of fellowship and friendship with our congregation, then you'll be made most welcome, and that's served just out here in the fellowship area. Tomorrow morning is the Hebron Tots. That's from 10 in the morning until 12 noon, and this has been going very well since we started it back, and many parents have brought their children. If you know of any infant children preschool, you can invite them to come on a Monday morning to this event that is for them. Tomorrow evening we were to have our session meeting, but that has been changed to Wednesday night at 8.30 just to remind our elders. The seniors has been postponed on Tuesday. We mentioned that this morning. It will be next week or the following week. Tuesday night is Youth Challenge when the children gather in for the children's meetings, the junior and the senior And that's at 7. Thursday night is the midweek service at 8 o'clock for Bible study, prayer and fellowship. Friday is the youth fellowship at 8. And David is coming back on Friday night to speak to the young people. Uh, It's good to have you back a second time, brother. And a third time when we sing back to November when you're with us at the, the special remembrance service. But he's coming not to give his testimony, not to speak about Iraq. He's coming to speak about sport, and he has been involved in football for many, many years. He'll, he'll maybe say something about that when he gets up to speak, but the subject is Christians and sport, and you'll see from the little comment here, uh, I'm assuming it's David's comment, I believe God can use Christians in sport to witness for him, to mature them for future Christian service, and ultimately to bring God glory. So young people, you come, you bring others with you. This will be a very interesting subject. There's an online Zoom prayer meeting organized by our presbytery and it'll be this Saturday from 9.30 until 11 o'clock in the morning and you can sign up to be part of that prayer season on the Free Presbyterian Facebook page link. Next Lord's Day, the early morning prayer meeting at o'clock, Sunday school 10.30, Bible class, quarter to 11, worship service, 12 noon, and the gospel meeting then at 7, preceded by the half hour of prayer, and for refreshments will be served. In one month's time, we will have our family night again, family and friends night. That will be the 2nd of April, 
at 7 o'clock and Derek Preston will be coming to give his testimony. Derek will tell you how he came to know the Lord as a saviour, but he will also tell you how he came through two very difficult periods in his life. First of all, with cancer and then with COVID. He was very, very ill with COVID. In fact, he was not expected to live and he was to say farewell to his family, but he did recover and he's going to speak about God's grace in his life through these times of great challenge. We are seeking to bring others in under the sound of the word and we have these little cards. Uh, If you didn't get one this morning, please take one tonight. One, bring one. And that's for our own congregation just to remind you of our commitment to personal evangelism and soul winning this year. I think that's all the announcements that I need to make. We'll get Mervyn to lead us in the hymn. We have gone back today to lifting the offering publicly. If you didn't bring an offering, just pass the basket on. Don't worry about that. And we'll get Mervyn to lead us now in song. Thank you. I'm number 100. Oh Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. Our load was laid on thee. We'll remain seated for the opening verses of the hymn, please.
I welcome again David Johnson to the pulpit tonight. When we had him last November at the special remembrance service, we said we would have him back to give a fuller testimony. He was very limited that night. He just had about 10 minutes or so. We're looking forward to what he has to say. Some people are known just for themselves, and I'm sure many know David just for himself. Others are known because of their relations. And you think in the Bible we read about one of the great apostles, he's Andrew, but he was always known as Simon Peter's brother. And this man behind me is known as the Reverend Johnson's son. Uh, so uh, he's known even through relatives, and we've enjoyed the ministry of his father many times here in Balamone. David, the Lord bless you as you come to talk to us tonight, and may we be blessed as we listen. Thank you. The book of Romans, chapter 8, please. I'm going to read a few verses from here. Can I thank the Reverend Park for the invitation uh, to be here this evening, and, and good to see Mervyn again as well. Uh, it's good to be back here again um, in Balamoney and have this opportunity to share uh, a more fuller uh, word of testimony. Uh, I was thinking driving up there that if you're if you're speaking, you can always change it a little bit and tweak it a little bit. But when you're giving a testimony, well, it's the same testimony. I was born at the same time and I was saved at the same time. But we'll recap a bit of what we talked about in November uh, and then hopefully fill in some gaps um, uh, with the, the longer time that we have. So it's good to be back here again, see some uh, friends I've known for many years. Uh, I see my fellow elder in Akali, Mr. Alistair Park and his family here. So maybe Alistair's here tonight. Keep an eye on me. Uh, just to make sure all goes well up here, but it's good to see uh, him and his family. So Romans chapter 8, we're going to start off at verse 28 and then skip down to verse 32. Romans chapter 8 and the verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And then down to verse 32, please. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's just bow for a very brief word of prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee that we can approach unto Thy holy throne tonight. Lord, we thank Thee for this service that has already gone into eternity, for the hymns that have been sung, for prayers offered. 
And Lord, we just pray now that you would still our hearts as we come to give a word of testimony and to make some comments on this wonderful, wonderful passage. Lord, we just pray that you would make us a blessing to the people here, but most of all, Lord, that we would bring glory to the name of our Savior. Lord, we do pray that the words of our lips and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in thy sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was born in 1970, and uh, my mum and dad, who were from Northern Ireland here, uh, Ron and Rainbow Johnson, had gone off to America to uh, missionary training with New Tribes Mission uh, in 1969. And I was born in America. My brother Ian was born in Canada. I had a brother born back here in 75 in Northern Ireland, and a sister born in Papua New Guinea. So that's an international cosmopolitan family, if, uh, if ever there was one. And as I've got older, I've certainly appreciated more just what it meant for mom and dad as like a 20, 21-year-old, heading off, leaving friends, leaving family, leaving their careers, and going off to the far-flung corners of the earth to bring the gospel to the people in Papua New Guinea. The tribe that we worked among, they were, had been Stone Age. Anyone over the age of 15 had been a cannibal. And that was the environment that we went into as a family. And uh, even you think of the advancement of technology since 1975, to travel as we did way into the jungle uh, was an amazing feat, and certainly they had to trust God. But what a, what a godly example mom and dad have been to our family. The, the desire they had to see souls saved and to give their lives at that stage for the furtherance of the gospel. And I can't remember a time when I didn't know they needed to be saved, uh, brought up in obviously a Christian home. We did go to a Christian boarding school, an American uh, missionary school. So I can't remember a time that I didn't know uh, about the story of the Lord Jesus dying on the cross to provide a way of salvation. And it was at the age of six, I believe I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my own and personal Savior. Uh, I don't have a date, but I could take you to a room in a house over in Papua New Guinea where I recall one night just simply getting down and in childlike faith asking the Lord to come into my heart to save me from my sin and to make me right for heaven. And isn't it good that God can save the boys and girls? If you're involved in children's work here tonight or Sunday school, it's, it's fantastic to know that God can even save a child of five, six, seven, make them right for heaven and, and be with them the rest of life's journey. Now, we do live in an age where very often sometimes people pray a prayer and there might be much depth to it. So the, the evidence of a true work of salvation is going to be growth, spiritual growth. It's going to be fruit in the life. And I can remember coming back to Northern Ireland in 1980, and it was easy uh, over in the mission field because, well, you were in a, in a Christian environment. Everyone who was there was a, a child of missionaries. So there wasn't really much different than what you did. But I remember getting into secondary school, went to the boys' model for a while, out to Downshire Secondary School in Carrickfergus. And within a few years, I could really feel a spiritual struggle. And there were certainly a number of years where I was out in the mountains, wild and bare. And if you were on a Sunday, or you were there at a children's meeting or youth fellowship, well, I was the minister's son. Butter would not melt in my mouth, as far as most of the congregation would think. But I know during the school hours, when I was with my friends, there was no difference in how they spoke, what they spoke about, what they did. 
I was as bad as every one of them. And I had this spiritual struggle um, in, in my heart over this. And I remember I used to get the Bible down and try and read it because my father or visiting ministers would talk about how God can speak through His Word. And I used to read the Bible, and it was, it was just a dry book. It was like the Encyclopedia Britannica. And uh, as, we, as the technology moves on, probably some of the younger ones are one they weren't even talking about when they say the Encyclopedia Britannica. But it used to be a big volume of books. Now it's all online. But it was just, uh, it was a dry book. And I used to wonder, what are these men talking about? How can God speak through His Word? And this struggle went on, and I recall one time my father stopped me on the stairs one night, and he said, son, I've received a call to the Clocker Valley Church. And I remember immediately saying to him, take it. And I thought, well, if I get a new group of friends, if I turn over a new leaf, well, then everything will be okay. I can start again, and no one will know really what I've been doing for the past number of years. Um, my father took the call. I'm sure it wasn't just because I said that. I'm sure he uh, felt the Lord led him to the Clocker Valley. But it wasn't too long when I was there that I realized that nothing had changed. The problem wasn't the company. The problem was me. And again, I had this ongoing spiritual battle. And I thank God that in the 22nd of September, 1986, that I came back to the Lord. There was a mission in the Clocker Valley on the Monday night. I remember sitting up near the front of the church and just deciding during the preaching that I'm going to have this question answered. This uncertainty was even saved. How, how can you know you're saved? And I went and spoke to the minister. Uh, he was taking the, the mission, and he turned me to John 6 and 37. What a verse. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. And that became, became my verse for the years ahead. And I can remember the assurance that that verse gave me. I remember the relief of being right with God again. And down through the years, that John 6:37 has been an anchor, an anchor for, for my soul. And what a promise. If you're here tonight, you're not saved. Well, there's a promise that if you come to Jesus in repentance, that He will not turn you away. He will not turn you away. And what an what a offer of the gospel that verse is. As your minister already alluded to, I have, I have sort of two passions in life as I was growing up. One was football and one was the army. Uh, on the football side, I've been involved for well over 30 years now in the football scene here locally in Northern Ireland. I've played at every level from premiership right down into junior and managed at every level as well. And currently I'm the youth development manager down at Lockall Football Club. We are, for those of you who are interested in football or in Irish League, we are about seven points clear at the minute of the top of the league with eight games to go. And if we manage to hold out and finish top of the league, we get promoted to the premiership. So we're... Uh, Next couple of weeks are going to be interesting for the, for the football club. But certainly it's something I just had a, a passion in. I don't know why. I just loved football, loved sport. And, and I believe passionately that God can use Christians in sport. I do believe God can use people in any um, employment He takes them into. But certainly in sport, I believe God can use Christians not just to, to witness for Him, and that's important, not just to take a stand for Him, and that's important, especially on the issue of, of Sunday football and I've been involved in, in numerous battles over recent years on, on Sunday football. But I do believe that God can develop, particularly young people, develop skills in their life and, and mature them, dealing with disappointment, dealing with uh, perhaps not being in the team when you want to be in the team, conflict in the team. And I believe there's a, a spiritual maturity can actually be 
be cultivated and grown through being involved in sport and, and working with other people. And indeed, many of those lessons can actually help Christians in, in the church work and even on the mission field, getting on with people, being able to work as part of a team, being able to deal with it when you don't get your own way in something because the majority wants something different. So all those things I think are very relevant, and I will on, uh, on Friday night be discussing with the young people on the topic of Christians in sport, uh, particularly around the life of Eric Little, uh, who I find very interesting regarding, regarding this topic. But the other passion I had in life has been alluded to is the military. Uh, again, I don't know why that is per se. I just always was fascinated, particularly when I read Old Testament scriptures about some of the amazing feats of, of soldiers in the Old Testament. Uh, particularly if you go to 2 Samuel 23, I mean, what a chapter of personal feats of soldiers in battle. Men get into battle and, and, and killing hundreds of people in battle, or the odds stacked against them in terms of numbers, but being victorious on the battlefield. And I often refer to that passage as David's special forces. It's the, the top 30 soldiers in Israel at the time, and then there was three above that which were, were special again. And, and the Bible, of course, is full of wars, battles, and it's certainly an interesting um, aspect of, of the Scripture. And I joined up in 1988 in the old Royal Irish Rangers, uh, as it was then. Uh, it's now the, known as the 2nd Battalion Royal Irish Regiment. And uh, that was up in Oma. I joined up, was in the ranks for a number of years, and then went on to Sandhurst uh, to be an officer. And little did I think of how the, the military career would, would, would play out um, over the next sort of 26 years or so uh, as a part-time reserve officer. And I've traveled with the British Army all over the world in, in various places, been to the Falkland Islands, um, Germany, Canada, Holland, uh, Cyprus. Um, and back in 1988, I was one of the, among the first British troops into Ukraine uh, as part of an exchange program. Well, 2003, 2003, of course, brought the Iraq War. And that was certainly a uh, an interesting time for, uh, well, the regular soldiers, but also the, the, the TA soldiers as they were then, the Army Reserve as they are now. And there were about uh, what, 45 or 50 soldiers called up from the Royal Irish Rangers. My own brother Ian, who had been a regular soldier, uh, had then moved into the, the, the Army Reserve, was called up in 2003. Uh, I was suffering from a, a broken leg on the football field uh, and wasn't able to go, much to my annoyance. But uh, that, that was an interesting time as, as the world went to war, uh, and we actually sent troops from Northern Ireland. Um, the 1st Battalion, Royal Irish Regiment, of course, was there under Cur Colonel Tim Collins. So certainly, for those that can remember, it was certainly a, a time of, of stress and anxiety for those that had loved ones um, over in Iraq. Now, in August 2003, uh, an incident happened that was certainly um, one that I'll remember. I was actually in holiday in Wales, and the phone went, and it was the adjutant. And he said, David, where are you? I said, well, I'm in Wales here on holiday. He says, well, when you get off your, uh, the boat, uh, don't go home. You cannot go home. You have to go to Grosvenor Road Police Station. Uh, your details have been found in a file in West Belfast. Uh, dissident Republicans are targeting you. So we got off the boat. We had to go then to the, the police station. And it, it was certainly sobering, sitting in a police car, as he pulls out this plastic bag, and in the plastic bag are pages, your photograph, and then handwritten notes. That's always stuck in my mind, just handwritten notes of details about you, your name, and, and different things that had gathered about me. And it was just to sit there and realize that someone had wrote those notes 
beside your picture with the intention of taking your life. But God was gracious. I remember the Sunday morning we came out of the church in Hillsborough where we attended, and the Reverend Barnes said to me as I got to the door, he said, they're looking after you this morning. And I didn't know, know what he meant, and he looked out, and there was a British Army checkpoint right at the gates in Hillsborough. And he had said in all his time there, there'd never been a checkpoint there before, but there was that, that Sunday morning. But God undertook uh, and was gracious during that time. And little did I know then the following year that I would be off in Iraq myself um, as a captain. I was a second in command over 100 men, basically a company strength, um, over mobilized uh, to go over to uh, southern Iraq near Basra in what was called the Force Protection Company. So we, we guarded uh, the main um, British headquarters as well as providing escorts um, all around southern Iraq. Now you may ask, what's it like to be a Christian uh, in the army? What's it like to be in operation? Well, what's it like to be a Christian on operations in the army? And, and just to highlight a couple of, of brief things, you can imagine that that six months brings back a lot of memories. And there was, of course, leaving my wife Brenda with two small kids. Uh, Joshua was five at the time. My uh, younger son, Caleb, was three weeks old uh, whenever we, we headed off um, to Iraq. So uh, leaving Brenda in that situation was difficult. Having established my testimony uh, with a new group of, of soldiers, uh, those soldiers in Northern Ireland uh, certainly knew me, knew who I was, but we actually met up with 60 soldiers from London, so they didn't know anything about me. And very quickly, I had to establish my testimony uh, with a new group of officers particularly. And uh, I see a lot of young people here tonight, so I'll, I'll, I hadn't planned to share the story, but I'll share it. Um, probably about three weeks into training, and the, you can imagine you're getting together to go out to a dangerous environment. British soldiers are being killed. Uh, you're a new group of, of guys working together. So the, the major decided he would have uh, what we'd sometimes just call an officer chill-out night. Uh, and just during training one night, crisps and you know, junk food and coke and all the rest of it, round to someone's billet, and someone stuck on a DVD. So we're sitting there, I'm sort of with these guys I don't know very well, and all of a sudden they put on this cartoon, and within three or four minutes, the language was, 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 was crazy, and the Lord's name was taken in vain. And there I am sitting there, what, three and a half weeks before going to Iraq, with these guys who needed to trust me, I needed to trust them, you know, out, out in operations. We're just getting to know each other. And I'm sitting here going, what, what do I do? I'm a Christian. I, I can't sit and listen to the Lord's name taken in vain without saying something. And as I was mulling this over in my mind, the Lord's name was taken in vain a second time. And I can remember just thinking, right, I, I, I can't stay here. And I just said, listen, guys, hang on. Can you just pause a minute? I said, listen, I'm a Christian. And, and you guys have a really good night tonight. Have good fun. But, but I, I can't sit and listen to the Lord's name taken in vain. And I just politely made my excuses and headed back to the billet, wondering what they're going to think. What, 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 how are they going to react to this? I remember the next morning at the breakfast table, one of the guys came to me and he said, look, I don't understand exactly why you did what you did, but I admire you that you believe in something enough to do what you did. Uh, and that at least allowed me to, if you like, put a marker down for the tour. Uh, and young people, it's, it's never, ever wrong to not take the opportunity to nail your colors to the mast early. People might always agree with you, but they'll respect you if you do it in the right way. And most of all, God will honor you. God will honor you, and that's most important. So not only was establishing a testimony, pressures of command, looking after, you know, sort of myself and the OC, over 88, uh, 98 men in the company. Um, you can imagine conflict, 
personal issues, issues at home, all of that um, feeds into the environment. Seeing the tragedy of Iraq, a country just totally devastated by uh, Saddam Hussein, and then, of course, the, the, the war phase in 2003. Uh, visiting Bible sites, and I had no idea before I went to Iraq just how much of the Bible took place in the modern-day land of Iraq. Absolutely amazing when I began to study it out and had the, the privilege and the opportunity to stand on, on some very famous Bible sites. Most commentators, not all, I'll ask your minister afterwards what his view is, but most commentators would say that Adam and Eve and, the, and that whole initial civilization certainly happened probably out there in Mesopotamia, that area of the world. But certainly Abraham, the Ur of the Chaldees, I walked over the ruins of that city, the city that he came from. It was a, it was a major civilization uh, back when God called him out. And as a Christian, you're just standing, walking over the ruins of a city, realizing that this is where Abraham came from. Amazing. Then you go on into things like uh, the whole captivity, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all those children's stories that we, we talk to the Sunday school children, the Bible clubs about, the fiery furnace. That all happened in Iraq, just south of modern-day Baghdad. And then you're into Jonah going to Nineveh, near the modern-day city of Mosul, one of the greatest revivals, Esther, Shushan Palace was up near the Iranian border. And of course, all the, the prophets that wrote from captivity wrote from Iraq. So that, that was certainly interesting. But of course, there was the danger um, being shot at, um, mortared many times, 107 mil rockets um, landing nearby. Uh, our base itself was rocketed 15 times when we were there. Um, and just the environment of knowing that when you go out to do a job, there could be a suicide bomber, there could be a roadside bomb, there could be a landmine, there could be a sniper, and that just feeds into the, to the environment uh, when you're operating day by day. And I do stress, I personally was not involved in any heavy firefights, I uh, was not involved in any what you'd call serious action, um, but uh, I usually say we got as close as you'd ever want to get uh, without ever having to be in that, that situation. Others certainly went much, much, uh, had much more difficult time than, than we had on that, and I recall being down in Kuwait, and the world news, sort of um, CNN and the BBC and stuff was playing in the hotel uh, foyer. We had uh, dropped off a, an escort to the airport, and the color sergeant, and I come back into the foyer, he said, sir, do you see the news? I said, I'm just, just back in from the airport. And on the hotel news bulletins rolling was two British Army snatches on fire in Basra. And we had at least three call signs, probably about 23 troops, on the ground in Basra. And I remember lifting the phone and my hand just shaking as I rang the ops room back in Basra just to see was this any of our guys. And, and just the wondering if the message was going to be three of your guys have been killed or two of your guys have been blown up. And just wondering how you were going to deal with that. So that was the, the environment. And uh, certainly the most vivid memory uh, was the reality of death. The reality of death. And there's just no question that over the time there, so many people... Uh, lost their lives in that conflict. Uh, we were only there a, about two weeks when we visited a bus where 20 school kids had been blown up by a suicide bomber. And there was the, the ruins of other uh, suicide bombers and, and, and the effects of landmines, etc. So uh, during our time there, there were 16 British soldiers killed. And I've stood on the flight line uh, of the Basra airport, uh, as it is, um, coffins draped in Union Jacks, I slow marched onto the back of a Hercules, with a piper playing the lament. Uh, and that's a sight that you don't forget, a sight that you'll never forget. Uh, just the, the, the scenario of men heading back 
the families back in the UK. Never thought it was going to be them. But, and most of them not saved. Most of them heading to a crisis eternity. So extremely challenging. But there's one thing happened um, in June 2004, which was the, the main, if you like, spiritual um, event for me on my tour. Uh, we had some of our soldiers caught in a landmine. And uh, one was in hospital uh, in intensive care. He had a, a piece of shrapnel, about a 5P piece size, up against his jugular. So he's down in Shaiba Log Base. They had been standing up, which the older ones were familiar with, with Northern Ireland troubles, two men standing up back to back, obviously given all round cover. And one was in hospital. And as part of my job as second in command and in charge of welfare, in charge of ops, I had to assess the other guy to see was he okay to go back out in operations or not. Or perhaps he was too... Um, you know, too caught up in the situation that he wouldn't be any use um, back out in operation. So I'm sitting having a, a cup of coffee with this lad. And he turns to me and he says, Sir, you're a Christian. How do you explain that I'm here talking to you? And then he named his mate. He's down in intensive care and I'm here talking to you. How do you explain that from a Christian perspective? What a question. If you're saved here tonight, just pause. How, how would you answer that? How would you answer that question? I mean, this is, the, this is the why question, isn't it? Why death? Why sickness? Why tragedy? Why circumstances? How, how do we explain it from a Christian perspective? And at first, I remember just being gunked, not expecting to be asked that in that scenario. And then I believe the Holy Spirit brought the passage that we read earlier to mind. I had actually learnt it uh, when we attended Kilskiri Independent Christian School many years earlier. And verse 28 sprung to mind. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And I just said to that young lad, I said, look, I don't have all the answers, but I believe as a Christian that God is in control. And I don't know what's going to happen to me or you or anyone else for the next six months, but all I know is that God is in control and I just leave my life with him. When I get back to my billet, I got this Bible out, which was given to me by the Hillsborough congregation when we left, and this became my passage for the rest of the tour, this wonderful passage of Romans chapter 8, and uh, this was a source of comfort for me. It was a source of strength, a source of encouragement, ah, but listen, a source of explanation, a source of explanation. How do you make sense? Young lad from Northern Ireland, minister's son, missionary son, sitting in a rack in the middle of the word glare as a war's going on. People have been injured and someone asks you, sir, you're a Christian. How do you explain this? Well, I think Romans 8, 28 uh, does just that because Paul has an assurance and he has a confidence in the Christian hope that God is sovereign. And that meant that Paul could face anything in life. And in the time we have left, I want you to turn to that passage. If you have your Bible, please open it at Romans 8. Going to make some, some comments on it. And I think, first of all, it's important to get the context of, of this verse 28 and the, and the subsequent verses. The context, I think, uh, you'll find that in verse 18. Verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. See, Paul's writing to believers who are facing persecution, who are facing incredible circumstances. I mean, we know history records that 
many were thrown to the lions. Some were tarred and set alight. Others were stoned. Others were crucified. Oh, to be a Christian, when Paul was writing to these Christians, it, it cost. It cost many of their lives. And that's the context that Paul's writing uh, this verse. And what he then tells them is, look, it doesn't matter about this physical suffering you're going through. Because when you think about the glory that awaits you, this present suffering, this present life with all its challenges and difficulties, it will pale into insignificance when you consider the glory of what awaits you in heaven. And that's the context. And we talk about persecution in the modern world, and things aren't the way we'd want them in Northern Ireland. Some of the laws aren't the laws we would want. But we have liberty here in this country. We should never forget that. We can preach. We can read God's Word. And there's so many of our Christian brethren and sisters across this world who don't have the blessings that we have. Even think of our friends from Ukraine. You know, they don't have that ability that we have here. Persecution. So we always should pray for the persecuted church. And um, You think of many stories I'm sure you've, you've, you've read of, of a Christian who has found themselves in difficult circumstances. Maybe it's, it's health. Maybe it's tragedy, a loss of loved ones and terrible circumstances. And when you read their life story or hear their testimony, their trial and their trouble and their struggle actually brought them closer to the Lord. Have you heard that before? You think, well, hang on. If terrible tragedy come in and it seems as if God has turned his back on the Christian, surely they're going to abandon their faith. No, no. In many cases, it intensifies people's spiritual walk with God. Why is that? Why? Well, I think Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 28 is the answer. Because all things work together for good. And I can testify as a family, um, about what, two and a half years ago, my wife lost her mother during COVID, not because of COVID, but during COVID. And for those of you that ever had, had to bury uh, a loved one during COVID, it was, I mean, losing a loved one at the best of times is difficult, but the whole environment of COVID and the lack of, of, of mourners and the, and the coldness of the service with, with the lack of people it's horrendous, horrendous. Um, and we came, came through that as a family. And many of you know that my mother, um, what, two and a half years, what, two, just over two years ago now, um, went through cancer treatment. Um, and again, you're watching your parents in a scenario where they have been there for so many of the congregation over the years, and now they're facing ill health. They're facing the uncertainty of is there going to be life beyond the next few months. And it was amazing just as a, as a family to watch mom and dad and to see how they placed their faith in God, how they were always strong and positive with the family. You'd ring up mom, how are you getting on? And she would just say, son, there's people worse than me. There's people worse than me. That, that was very often her mantra. So this verse is real. If you're here tonight, you're not saved. You want all this Christianity stuff's about. It's verses like this that are precious to believers. So the message of this passage is, as a Christian, you can face all of life's uncertainties, all of life's disappointments, its challenges, its heartaches, its temptations, its fears, and even its dangers, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ. So I want to simply ask and answer two very quick questions tonight. Number one, why did Paul believe that all things work together for good? Why did Paul believe that all things work together for good. We'll look at verse 35 to 39. Verse 35 to 39. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or persecution, distress, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? I think that's all the physical things that could possibly separate someone from God's love. And Paul lists them all out. And of course, uh, if you were to go over to 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul lays out all the physical um, attacks he had on him. And he probably experienced all of these and much more. He had been stoned, beaten, shipwrecked, put in prison. But he says this, nothing, nothing can separate between a believer and Christ's love. That's the physical things. Look at verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. This, you could say, is the spiritual world, not just the physical things in life, but is there anything spiritual in the spiritual world that can actually separate between us and God? Ephesians 6 tells us about the Christian life. We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's this spiritual dimension to the Christian life. If you want to know all about angels and, and demons, you speak to your minister during the week or one of your elders. I'm sure they'll gladly go into detail with you. But it's one of those areas that, that we don't need to really delve into it too, too deeply. But we do need to be aware that we're in a spiritual battle as Christians. We face a spiritual enemy. But what does Paul say here? There's nothing. There's nothing spiritually that can separate between us from God's love. And then verse 39, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 39 says, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think this is nothing universally, nothing physically, nothing spiritually, but it's as if the Apostle Paul is still trying to encourage the believers, to get them to understand just how safe and secure they are in the love of Christ. And with a bit of sanctified imagination, I, I wonder, is this what he saw? Because we were in Basra, and you had a mortar shelter over your accommodation, but we used to pull out the seats from under the mortar shelter at night and do a bit of reading, and I used to sit and read this passage. And if you know anything about that part of the world, the, the sun is that hot during the day, tends to burn off all the cloud, and at night you have just a spectacular view of the heavens. I mean, it's just as far as you can see the stars, the galaxies um, in, in the sky. And I used to wonder, as I read this, sitting there looking at the sky, is that what the Apostle Paul saw? Under inspiration, I wonder, did he just look up into the heavens and and recognize the expanse of the universe, and then write these words. There's no height. There's no height in this universe that can separate the believer from God's love. And I just think that's an, an amazing confidence that, that Paul had. And you see, it's only when you have confidence in God's love, then you can accept that all things work together for good to them that love God, that God is in control of everything. And let me ask you tonight, do, do you have that confidence in God's love? If you're saved tonight, are you, are you living in victory? Do you live each day in light of the fact that God is in control? And if you're not saved tonight, then what is your hope in? What is your confidence in? When you come to face death, you come to face eternity, what are you trusting in? Uh, Paul could say that he had a, a confidence in God's love. But secondly, why could Paul be so confident in God's love? Why could Paul 
be so confident in God's love. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What an amazing verse this verse 32 is. What a, what a verse that simply explains the gospel. That God sent his son he delivered his beloved son to the cross to suffer in our place, to pay the price of sin so that we might be saved. Oh, tonight I trust that we'll understand the cross, understand Calvary. God the Father punished his own beloved son. And Paul argues here in this verse that if, if God is willing to not spare his own son, then surely he'll take care of us, those that he redeemed through his son's precious blood. That's what Paul's arguing here. And of course, the answer is, of course, God will. Of course, God will take after us. Now, the best way I can describe this mystery, how can God deliver up his son? It's hard to explain. Even just contemplating that whole scenario of the, of the cross work and how God the son was separated from God the father, it's a mystery. But there's one story in the Old Testament that I think more than any story, brings out what was going on here in this verse 32. And if I was able by faith to take the whole congregation back around 4,000 years, and we were able to eavesdrop on a, on a situation, and there'd be an old man walking up a hill, there'd be a boy, maybe teenage age, with him, and there was wood, and there was fire, and there was a knife, and if we were able to eavesdrop closer, the young lad turns to the older man. He says, Dad, we've got wood, we've got fire, we've got the knife, but where's the offering? And of course, you know I'm referring to Abraham and Isaac. That man, Abraham, from Ur of the Chaldees in Iraq, and they say, I managed to walk across, they're probably walking across the ruins of Ur of the Chaldees, which just brings that story so much more to life. And as they walked up the mountain, what must have been going through Abraham's mind? That, every time I read that or think about that, it, 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 it's, you almost coil away from the thought of a father taking the life of one of their own children. It's repugnant. It, it's horrible to think about. I've got a, a 24-year-old and a 19-year-old currently. If you're a parent here tonight, just even just let your mind think about that just for a moment. To be asked to take the life of one of your own children. Well, we know the story in Abraham and Isaac. God stepped in, provided a ram, a substitute, and you could say that that story ended well because Isaac did not have to lose his life. But you know, 2,000 years ago, the story that that type was referring to happened on the cross of Calvary. And I say this reverently, but God the Father did take the life of his own son. That's the gospel. That, that is the gospel. God delivered up his own son. He took the knife of judgment for sin and he plunged it into his beloved son. And we can rightly say that God delivered up his son to the humiliation of the incarnation. We can say that Christ was delivered up to suffering, living as a, as, as a man, still God, but as a man for 33 years and suffering as a human. We can even say that that Christ was delivered up to the, the pain of the cross, the physical pain, the, 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 the mocking, the crown of thorns, the, 
the, the physical pain of the nails. Ah, but that's, that's, not, that's not the most important part. That's not the most important part. Because we read it, uh, sang it earlier in that wonderful piece. Jehovah bade his sword awake. O Christ, it fell on thee. Thou wast sore stricken of thy God. There's not one stroke for me. And in those three hours of darkness at Calvary, after men had done everything they could do, God delivered up his beloved Son to be our substitute. The Christ on the cross, he took our hell. He took our punishment. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God spared not his own Son. And tonight, we've got a glorious gospel. We've got good news tonight that Christ took our place. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. And tonight we are justified. We're declared righteous on the cross that Christ defeated sin. He defeated Satan. He defeated even the last great enemy, death. And as proof of his victory, he rose again from the dead. And he's now alive and he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's that's the gospel. So in conclusion, all things work together for good to them that love God. Why did Paul believe that all things work together for good? Well, because nothing can separate us from the God's love. Why could Paul be so confident in God's love? Well, because God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And may we tonight have something of Paul's confidence in God's love. And believer, I trust tonight you're encouraged. I trust tonight that, that you recognize and again get your eyes on the fact that God is in control. Nothing happens by accident. Not in the world around us, not in politics, not in world affairs, and not even in your life tomorrow morning. Nothing happens by chance. God is in control. And I, I often finish a testimony by a bit of a challenge to God's people, because do we really believe God is sovereign? Yes, it's a doctrine we preach, and we say we believe in it, but do we really believe in it? Tomorrow morning, when you face that challenge at work, or that difficulty with, with health, or whatever the circumstances is, do we recognize that God's in control, and leave everything with Him? God is working out everything for our good and for His glory. And if you're not saved tonight, Again, I just ask you, what are you placing your hope in for eternity? I thank God that through life's journey thus far, that, that He has been with me, with my family. I have failed Him many, many times, and I can say that God's grace is sufficient, and just thank Him that all things work together for good to them that love God. We'll hand back to Reverend Park. We thank David for the testimony and for sharing the triumph of grace in his life and all the Lord has brought him through and for that challenge really bringing us to the cross and to the place of sacrifice and substitution where God spared not his son but delivered him up for us all. And if you don't know the Lord tonight, it's our prayer that even through what you've heard by way of testimony that your heart has been touched, you've been spoken to, and that you might seek Christ 
It's the greatest thing that you could ever do. And if we can help you, that's why we're here. Our closing hymn asks the question, is there a heart that is waiting, longing for pardon today? Hear the glad message proclaiming Jesus is passing this way. And every time the gospel is presented, every time a meeting like this is held, Jesus, by his spirit, is passing this way. And he's just a prayer away. You can call upon him this very night and seek him. Think of the words as we sing them together. passes this way, what do you need to do? Just what this verse has said. Come, come to 
the only Redeemer, come to his infinite love. Christ has died for our sin. He's risen again gloriously from the dead. He lives today in the power of an endless life. And he's here tonight. He can give you salvation and forgiveness and pardon and peace with God. Seek him. Come to him. Heavenly Father, (coughs) bless your word. Bless the testimony. We thank you for David for the, the day when he was converted to Christ. Thank you for preserving his life over the years. And just for sharing this testimony tonight, we believe it has spoken to many individuals here. Oh God, speak to us. Continue to speak to us. Bring sinners to Christ, those that have wandered, those that are out of Christ without a Savior tonight, going down the broad way that leads to destruction. May they come to the only Redeemer. May they come to his infinite love. And trust in the Lord tonight. We praise thee that Jesus Christ is able to save. He's able to save to the uttermost all that come. And may there be that willingness of heart. Lord, give grace tonight. Defeat the devil, we pray. And separate us with your blessing from this service this evening. Bless the time of fellowship, the good things that have been provided to us. But most of all, we pray that men and women will be led to the Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.